Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. On this episode, I'm joined by good friend Tom Dickens. Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about this. You and I were just talking about the topic of today's episode, what the metaverse means for marketers. And so, you know, we're obviously going to get into a lot of that stuff in our conversation today, but I always start this episode by going back to the beginning. And so I'd love to just kind of get an idea of how did you kind of get your start in marketing and how has it progressed to where you're at today? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, it feels like a very long time ago now. After university, in fact, during university, I did a placement year with Xerox. That was my first role within analytical marketing. And when I finished university, I was quite happy to join an SMB, quite keen to kind of be involved and experience the whole kind of marketing mix across sales as well. But ultimately, I had the opportunity to join Red Bull, which is where we met, of course. Yep. The role I was applying for was actually in the markets, but the international brand marketing headquarters is in Austria, as you're aware. So I spent five years, I think, of, of my career uh, in Salzburg, Austria. It was definitely some of the most formative of my career. I had that great experience of being able to work with some of the greatest marketers I've ever worked with, but also be able to kind of work with a really influential brand, which was an interesting experience both from being able to use something that's already very powerful in marketing, but also in in the way that we would negotiate with partners and and agencies like yourself. After Red Bull, I kind of wanted to move on to to the world of startups. So I wanted to make sure that rather than being a cog in the machine, I could actually kind of change things myself and and work across things like strategy, fundraising. After Red Bull, I wanted to move into the world of startups. I wanted to be able to make some change uh, myself, work on the fundraising, the strategy, the marketing, and sometimes even being involved in the product. Following on from that that one, I thought the most innovative space was uh, the Web3 space. There was so much innovation and so much investment into this space that it seemed very obvious that that's where the growth was going to come from. That's where, as a marketer, it's interesting to follow the money because that really dictates ad spend really is a really good uh, determinant of where innovation is going to come to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really wanted to, to move into this space. I had a bit of understanding of cryptocurrency as, as an investor, and the NFT space wasn't particularly popular back then. And I'd experienced a few wins and a few losses, but I decided to make the jump and offer my services to a cryptocurrency fund, yep. uh, working from those guys kind of full-time to help them to bring the kind of marketing and project management rigor that was kind of taught to all of us um, a red below for that period. It was an interesting kind of experience to come into such a growth sector with a lot of people trying to work out you know where the space is going as well as how to do things correctly and bring my own view of the way that people should do it and obviously bringing some experience from those brands and those tech startups but also being humbled uh, about how those things may and may not work in this new kind of field and that's what brings me to today really so i'm working for a number of kind of web3 businesses across gaming, across uh, digital fashion, and all of these businesses are kind of, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with that, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I guess what we could dig into there is like kind of just level setting with everybody listening. So as we kind of talk about the metaverse, Web3, and what this kind of next development or phase of the internet means for marketers, can you just kind of start out by explaining like the fundamental concept of decentralization and 
how that plays into the difference between kind of Web 2 and, and Web 3? And maybe if there is something like what kind of drew you to it besides it being innovative? Was there a specific use case where you were like, oh, that really struck a chord with me and I wanted to, you know, follow that and go into that? Sure. So I think part of the appeal of decentralization is the innovation itself. One of the most appealing things I think to some people is that it's kind of an idealistic and a, and a philosophical approach to how systems should work. Mm-hmm. Decentralization is about the control being moved away from a central entity to a, to a network of entities. Mm-hmm. When people are talking about decentralization, it's very much implied that they're talking about privacy, security, and governance. Yeah. It's very important to different communities on the internet. For us as marketers, it's particularly interesting, I think, because Web2 is very much characterized by the tools that we're very comfortable with, which are the social networks. Most of our time on the internet is spent either on a read environment or a read-write environment. And these social networks, they've created a platform that's essentially vying for consumers' content, uh, engagement, and attention. But where this very much is centralized is that the platform is owning the content, they own the data, and they monetize it essentially at your expense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the old adage, if a product or service is free, that, that you are the product. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of embodies what Web2 is all about. Yeah. And as a marketer and as a consumer, I think decentralization and the shift to Web3 is particularly positive. But it will also be quite tricky for us marketers. Um, mm-hmm. For a long time, it's been quite easy. We've been able to pay Google and Facebook and other platforms to serve specific target audiences with specific messages. And that won't be possible anymore. Things won't be running through their centralized databases, and we won't have the opportunity to serve those people with ads. We won't have the we won't have the data. We won't have the the permission to do so. Yeah. So in Web three, it's the users themselves that have the right to monetize their own data. Yeah. And so you need to have a, a direct dialogue with those users, or, or use platforms people are signing into that are more Web three focused. Yeah. In the Web3 economy, as marketers, the kind of social platforms that we can use are things like Brave, which yeah. is a, a browser. Browsers are rewarded with uh, basic attention tokens for watching ads, yeah. much the same as Generate Ads from our friend uh, Sam Jones. And these are based on permission and agreement from the user to monetize their own time and data. And this is a far better value exchange because the platform is sharing that value with the mm-hmm. users, as yeah. the advertisers. And these kind of platforms are technically the future in some ways, but it'll be very interesting to see what platforms like Google and Facebook do in order to either limit their ability to to do business or whether or not they just end up acquiring them and then making them centralized. Yeah. That's one of the real challenges for Web3. Yeah. I've always wondered that with those browser specifically talking about Brave or if there's a Chrome plugin, you know, there's Generate and I believe I guess Generate's making their own browser and maybe they also have plugins. I've seen a few other brands in the space like, hey, it's a Chrome plugin that looks at your browsing history and rewards you for that. Yeah, I just kind of wondered, like, is that a fight that we think we're going to be able to win? I say, like, we, like us versus, like, the, you know, the big two-awfully. So I think about, you know, if we look at probably browser usage, right, I would imagine it's, I don't have the data right in front of me, but I feel pretty confident saying it's probably a Chrome and Safari kind of duopoly. Sure, you'd have Firefox in there and you'd have, you know, some of these other ones, but Getting people to shift from a browser is a really tough thing to do, I feel like. The analogy that I use is it's like getting someone to switch banks. Once they've kind of chosen their browser, they're pretty much dug in and they're they're sticking with that. So where my brain kind of goes is I'm like, yes, this could be amazing, where it's like, can we get to a point where there's a browser 
that, and I think the key here is both on desktop and mobile, like having a great experience across both that's like natively built into things. And I think that's going to be another hurdle of like, can you set Brave or something else as a mobile app as the default browser on your smartphone? Don't know if, if Apple or Android will allow that to happen. So yeah, I don't know. That's kind of where my brain just kind of starts to churn because I'm like, yes, that is like the intent is there. But I just wonder, like, if it was me running those types of businesses, being like, I'm going to build a browser that rewards people for their browsing, I'd want to go out and raise a shit ton of cash so that I could basically withstand probably the full-on assault that would come from the bigger kind of platforms. Yeah, and I think that's why when it's come to the feature-based product, so where it's about privacy and security, yeah. it's never quite going to be enough. So the, the reward-based approach is obviously a far easier sell, one yeah. way you kind of incentivize referral, yeah. definitely makes a lot of sense. But I wonder whether on the road to solving a Web2 problem, you end up being seduced by the appeal of selling the business to you know, a Web2 business. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think about that all the time. And, and I've actually just started using, I use a browser called Mighty, which is, it's basically like a version of Chrome. Like it just looks like Chrome or Chromium, Chrominium. I'm going to butcher that. But what it is actually is it's streaming a browser from a really fast computer. And so... You know, it has all these security things built in, plus it's just really, really fast. So if you're using a lot of tabs, this is sounding like an ad for Mighty, but I just <laughs> found that Chrome was pretty slow for me. It was, you know, just not operating it the way I wanted to. So I started to look at other alternatives. I looked at Brave. I looked at, you know, Safari. There's another one called Arc that has popped up that I think a lot of people are using. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of the first time in a, in a while where choosing your browser or, like, the browser kind of being open for change and debate if you had asked me like four years ago, like what browser you use, I'd be like Chrome, duh, because like that's just how I roll. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Metaverse Web3, these types of foundational kind of principles or concepts are built into browsers. And then what kind of scale can those things get with people around the world? And how is that going to change the way that we interact with the internet? Yeah, for sure. So I want to kind of switch gears a little bit here. What have you kind of seen about the, around the types of audiences that are really focused on Web3 or the metaverse? Have you seen any like core values that kind of connect them together? Like, is it a certain type of person that is leaning into Web3 versus Web2 or metaverse? Yeah, I think because it's still such early days for Web3 and, and metaverse, mm -hmm. one thing everyone has in common is that they are innovators. And so that means they share quite a few values. It also means that a lot of them are Gen Z. So mm -hmm. because we're indexing for this group, we see quite a lot of traits in common. Yeah. Luckily for us, they welcome new technology. They adopt them more easily than prior groups. Yeah. Uh, Self-expression is particularly important as well as authenticity. And more and more, they're radically inclusive. And they tend to have some kind of progressive and eco-conscious traits. Yeah. This is interesting when it comes to kind of NFT and crypto communities because there's a real community centricity there, just the way that they've been built over time. Yeah. And it kind of includes this, an expectation of a fairness, which is part of this governance and privacy, which is kind of, you know, the way that decentralization has, has built up. And then I see the other main thing when it comes to the Web3 communities or at least metaverse or is the gaming has always been at the forefront of, mm -hmm. of this space. Yeah. When when it comes to bringing on loads of people into the metaverse, I think the gaming sector, the gaming segment is going to be one of the key drivers. And so when we think about the values of these guys, I mean, they're obviously motivated by fun, competition, rewards. The social features are massively important for them. One of the main or more recent changes when it comes to these values is that whether rewards 
a kind of intrinsic or extrinsic. There was this mm. move around play to earn games recently, yeah. which I think some people see as maybe something a bit negative in the space, but yeah. actually has a lot of similarities with the prize pools that you might see in, in esports competitions. I think yeah. it's just, been, just not been done at such a premium level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think because of the way the gamers have historically kind of customized their profiles, their bios, their avatars, there's a lot in there about self-expression and virtual identity. Yeah. I think that's going to be one of the kind of, that's going to be one of the battlegrounds, essentially, especially when you look at Meta's virtual world and how some of the avatars and uh, landscapes don't look very realistic and whether or not that's the representation you want of yourself in this virtual world or whether yeah. you want something a bit more realistic. I think that's going to be quite a key determinant of the kind of people that show up in different places. Yeah, that's interesting. Like where my brain goes hearing you talk about that is obviously we have the kind of virtual world, whether you're playing on a console or even your Instagram account, like what is your piece of digital real estate and how are you customizing it? And so as you were speaking, I was thinking about some people who change the fonts on their Instagram profile, right? Like that's them putting like their stamp on it and like showing that like, ooh, I'm a bit more advanced and I know how to change my my font type, kind of like that. And yeah, I wonder to your point about Meta's interpretation of it being not real looking. I feel like just like that digital real estate on Instagram, like when you go to your Instagram page or my Instagram page, we have photos from the real world there that give people an idea of who we are, what we're interested in, you know, a visual representation of that. Now, whether that's good or bad and if life is a highlight reel, we'll park that on the kind of side because I, I don't think that's, you know, the topic of the episode. But I think about that, whereas I'm going, okay, I haven't necessarily made that jump to having digital things as in like, oh, an NFT, you know, that's my equivalent of having a nice painting hung on the wall in my home. Whereas what I have is like, here's a photo of me in an epic location and you can tell it's a pretty nicely taken photo. Oh, maybe that guy knows how to use a camera. It's going to be interesting to see how people like me who have that sort of thing, and I'm not saying just about me, but I'm sure there's like a lot of people out there who are going to have to like bridge this gap and go, oh yeah, cool. That's interesting. Like, what are the things that are available now for me that I can kind of show show off in a way that I view as valuable, socially relevant, whatever the thing is, right? Because, yeah, a lot of people on, on those platforms are trying to make their kind of digital home on the Internet and have it act as a reflection of them. Yeah, and in this kind of role of fantasy uh, is a lot more expansive in those worlds. On Instagram, yeah. but a filter on. In the metaverse, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be a dragon if you want to be. So, yeah. You know, yeah, I wonder how that's going to progress. That's that's going to be interesting. I want to talk a little bit about just an investment in the space. We've seen, you know, brands like Nike acquiring Artifact. They're placing a, a big emphasis and importance on things like virtual worlds, wearables, augmented reality. Do you kind of have any examples from metaverse concepts, whether it's on the brand side, big or small? And can you kind of explain why that's such an important thing for the future? Yeah, I think two examples that jumped out, but more because of the way that they could integrate Web3 and NFT specifically with like uh, different consumer groups. Yeah. The first one that jumped out for me here is Reddit. Yeah. This is their own internal investment, although I think it's a, it's a partnership with FTX, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. This one always felt like it's such an obvious one, even though the Reddit community is sometimes quite anti-Web3 and NFTs. But the basis of having these very engaged and kind of self-governing communities on Reddit with kind of a very much inbuilt gamification, self-governed gamification, trophies, upvotes. It felt like it was already uh, getting itself prepared organically for some foreign to NFTs. Yeah. 
And if you think about the way uh, the Reddit community are creating a lot of their own unique content, and it's full of creators that don't really have a way of monetizing it because some of their content is just humorous comments. It's them actually, you know, coming together as a community to come up with this incredible ongoing dialogue about these topics. Yeah. That plugging NFTs in seems like such a good play. I, I'm not sure what their rollout plan is, but as long as you, you're selective about the subreddits that you choose to engage with the communities that make sense to do that, it feels like a very obvious play to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have pegged Reddit as anti-Web3 or, or anti-NFT, not saying that maybe they're anti-that, but I guess now, again, thinking through that as you were explaining it, they are kind of like the Web2 original gangsters. So they're kind of like, hey, the whole reason this thing exists is because we've had this platform form like all that sort of stuff. And they're like, nope, this is amazing. We don't want it to change. And like, you know, we love being on the forum. So that's interesting to hear that they have kind of hinted at, to your point, building in rewards, gamification, whatever that is. But the community is still, you know, by and large, maybe a bit resistant to it. Yeah, well, I think there's just a lot of uh, purists on the yeah. community, they see things in a very idealistic way. And there's kind of the nature, the way they train them with, with upvoting and um, this gamification, it kind of really encourages a pylon for good or bad. Yeah. I think it really is an echo chamber. A lot of the pressure is on those guys to ensure that they can onboard effectively in a sensitive way. Yeah, interesting. And then did you have another example? Yeah, the other one that really interested me Basically, it's very NFT-focused, but it was um, eBay's acquisition of the NFT marketplace, Known Origin. Okay. Um, it just feels so on brand that they're coming from a place of physical collectibles. Uh, yeah. We were something for digital collectibles. And if you think about a lot of the high-value items you might have on eBay, it could be baseball cards, it could be could be antiques. So just like the way that they've kind of integrated across Web 2 and Web 3, mm-hmm. but in terms of the messaging, they're really kind of owning this secondary market, which is obviously a massive part of the NFT space. Yeah. It just felt like a really nice and logical move for a business to kind of cement its position in the market. And uh, I think I wanted to make sure we were thinking about kind of both organic and kind of acquisition-based investments. Yeah. Strategically, that makes a lot of sense in terms of like, hey, what is your core business? And then eBay being a marketplace, and then it's like, okay, cool. If we're going to get into the you know, Web3 metaverse NFT then yes, we should be, you know, still playing in the marketplace space and not deviating too far from our core values, principles, you know, objectives, competencies, whatever you want to call it. How do you think marketing will be different inside the metaverse in the future? If you could take a trip to a Nike store, what are some of the activations that that you'd expect to see in the future? Is there anything where you're kind of like, hey, this is something that I think is going to come down the line? And like, no wrong answers, because I feel like the prediction business is, is easy to obviously get one wrong. But I don't know if there's anything cooking inside your brain where you're like, this could happen. Sure. Well, I mean, there's such innovation happening right now that I think there are already some pretty powerful examples that I don't even yet understand the implications of those. Yeah. So I think Nightland in uh, in Roblox is a particularly interesting example because it's breaking new ground for brands. Mm-hmm. But actually, Roblox is so massive that it's already so established. The scale of the platform means that people are spending over $50 billion a year on virtual goods. Even though the platform itself is synonymous with young, younger users, the average age is rising. And Roblox, for example, is really trying to address this um, young user issue it's got. I think over the next few days, they're talking about what the plan is to commercialize the business. And some of it is going to be about how they can safeguard the younger community, separate the products, 
and then commercialize uh, in a way that they can bring on creators and advertisers yeah. and still have this, which feels like a brilliant idea. You still got this product to bring people on to onboard them to the metaverse, and then yeah. they get the, you can onboard them to the the premium or the more commercialized product. But at the same time, as keeping them safe and keeping the purity of that initial space. Yeah, that's seen people speculating that as people get older, the appeal of actually socializing and spending time in these metaverses goes down. But yeah. I think I think that's more at its core because the social features just aren't quite there yet. They're not comfortable in in the hardware on their side as much as the interfaces in there just don't particularly work as they should. Yeah. What's interesting with something like Nightland is they've created a space in the metaverse that operates the same way as a community might work in Discord. So they've created mini games in, in there. They allow people to create their own content and essentially they're awarding the community for taking part as leaderboards. And it's very much kind of a metaverse activation for something that's already happening in Web3 communities. Yeah. And it's a really nice way to make sure that you're evaluating the engagement of your audience and mm-hmm. you segment the people that care most about your brand you can make them jump through hoops to make sure they understand the product. And then it means that when you're sampling or, or where you're, when you're deciding who to invite to these immersive experiences, you know the people that get it, you know the people that care, yeah. and you're putting these experiences in the hands of the products, in the hands of the people that are great advocates for you. And mm-hmm. historically, you know, this would be a first-come, first-served kind of offering. It would just benefit scalpers and resellers. But this model, you're, you, you've got an opportunity to kind of form an emotional bond with these people over time and find those people that care the most, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty compelling. I think your question was also very much about actually marketing you know, kind of from a campaign perspective in the metaverse. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges we're dealing with at the moment is promoting some of our activations in the metaverse to other metaverse users. And some people have already um, innovated some traditional marketing. So... You can put out out-of-home billboards, essentially, in the metaverse, which is fun. Yeah. Strangely, you know, the attribution that you get on that is terrible, but it's still very nascent. But it's funny that traditional marketing is now, you know, in the metaverse, but people are, are still trying to innovate and try new things. The people are using advocates and, and influencers, or I'm sure you can use bots as non-playable characters to promote different activities, yeah. like events, as well as obviously offline advertising to make sure you're pushing people in, but also encouraging people with incentives to uh, to promote you in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. All of these kind of things exist, but more and more there are some more high-tech advertising solutions in, in the metaverse, but at the moment it's still quite disparate. And historically, a lot of the people have been onboarded around specific events. Obviously, everybody's seen these large-scale live music events. And those pose probably the most interesting um, marketing opportunity, at least for guerrilla marketing, because we can speculate that these people are fans of this person. They're more likely to be this kind of segment from this place. But that kind of data isn't available to marketers yet in the metaverse. So it's all about making sure that you can tailor your messaging and the timing of it around these events to people on their way. I think that's probably the the simplest strategy that probably exists at the moment until the data catches up. Yeah, because I guess I always go back to the fishing analogy, like fish where the fish are. How many people are there to begin with? Does it make sense to, like, spin up something there? But at the same time, going in there, running test campaigns, learning so that, you know, trying to predict where's the ball going to be, right, or where's the puck going to be and skating to where the puck's going to be instead of, like, where it's at. So it's balancing that testing things and building that muscle and learning so that if and when that happens, cool, we already have a bunch of learnings and we can kind of hit the ground running, whereas a lot of other businesses could be, well, hey, we don't we don't know anything about this. And so we just got to like test and play catch up. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, it's been a very sexy field for people to invest in and, and market in, which tends to attract people that want to be the first but not the best and sort yeah. of like lazy campaigns and comms. But now it's a bit more established. There's pressure to actually make sure that your metaverse campaign has got an IRL pop-up and you're really actually blurring this, you know, this digital concept. Yeah. And so more recently, so this year, we started to see some more kind of compelling campaigns around that. But yeah. just, a lot of it was around making making noise in press and, and comms more than yeah. anything. As opposed to like delivering kind of a, a cool omni experience for a potential customer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. I want to touch back on something that you said a little earlier. You were talking about gaming has obviously been a big piece of Web3 metaverse. Do you think metaverse and NFTs in Web3 will positively or negatively impact gaming? I know it's kind of like a random question, but gaming has been kind of so entrenched in the core of this kind of from the beginning and now you know is that going to be a net positive or is that going to be a net negative or yeah what are your thoughts on that sure i think um i'm obviously very biased but from my perspective i really see that it can only really be incremental growth yeah i mean we've been very conscious when we've been working on blockchain games but we know that some mainstream gamers are, are quite reticent or even worse maybe outspoken and resist to the concept of it yeah but from having spent time actually developing games for example with nft utility it actually unlocks things that otherwise wouldn't be possible and actually if we could work out the positioning and the messaging they are appealing um appealing benefits to these users ownership should be important to everybody yeah being rewarded for your time should be important to everybody but i think the problem is the blockchain game and maybe even the web3 space has been negatively impacted by you know this reputation has been hurt by some of the players in the field mm-hmm. and especially in, in blockchain gaming there was this gold rush as there often is towards play to earn yeah and also maybe this relevance to about the land land sale rush as well which yeah. just ends up with people profiteering developing things in order to monetize but not to add value and those things obviously only work when the market's on the way up the way the market is at the moment, those players don't work. And I think maybe the market correction has been positive and that it's cleared out a lot of the brands and projects that don't reflect well on the space and don't mm. actually embody the idealism of what we're trying to do in Web3. Yeah. I think there's there's only positive growth to be had, but people do need to be careful about the way that they're messaging the benefits to the right audiences. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about commerce, right? So we've talked a lot about, you know, metaverse experiences, NFTs, that sort of thing. But how do you see the future of commerce integrating into the metaverse? And so, you know, where my brain goes is everyone talks about, oh, well, you, you can try on clothes, you know, so, you, oh, you want to buy, you know, a hat, you can try on a hat without actually having to be there. Is that kind of it? Or is there more? Yeah. So I think there's a lot to it in that. The social commerce was supposed to be a very pioneering stage in, um, yeah. in commerce. But essentially, I think it just pushed people an ability to learn more or buy at this point of consideration or awareness. Yeah. I think it's, it's very good at understanding or kind of being ubiquitous in people's lives. But it wasn't able to kind of elevate this product experience in a meaningful way. It wasn't yeah. immersive, it wasn't education, it wasn't properly educational or instructive. Whereas the opportunities for um, showcasing products in the metaverse are, are dramatic. So it could be that you're just showing what an item would look on you, but it could be that you take it the other way into fantasy, which is like, this is how it looks. If you're in space, in zero gravity, you're on fire, 
you can put yourself, this is how you would look if you were featuring in this film, yeah. you know, the main person. So the possibilities really are kind of endless. I think a really good example of that, I guess, is that this year in Metaverse Fashion Week, they kind of, um, there were 70 brands showcased. I think Selfridges kind of represented them, brought them together. And there were 108,000 uh, visitors, and many of which were in their own digital um, avatars with digital outfits on. And it was the first time where... Mm. You know, it was really used as a way to showcase it to people. One, bring people in who are already in the metaverse, but also bring new people in. And first kind of stage of bringing luxury brands all together in one space. I really think that shows the power of how you can showcase different products. That's a very, I wouldn't say, a, it's very easy to imagine how that would be. Yeah. But imagine how it could be for other innovative products for different categories. Yeah. Um, the immersive nature of the tech and if you think about the future of metaverse and the hardware you might have at home to imagine the touch, the smell, you know, those kind of things, then you can have some really um, amazing uh, experiences. Not to mention if you're engaging with the metaverse, not at home, but, you know, in one of these amazing pop-ups has, you know, got all of the tech stuff out. Yeah, you actually just reminded me, I wanted to ask about what do you think about, like, the hardware to access the metaverse right like that's obviously a big thing i feel like from a software side of things we can get there no problem there's amazing experiences to be created technology is evolving faster and faster whereas i feel like the barrier for most people is going to be on the hardware side right so like sure we have apple just released some gorgeous new iphones meta is working with ray-ban on the whatever the glasses are you have snapchat with their, their snap with their spectacles um Apple's reportedly working on something. You have Oculus. You kind of have all these different players. There's a prediction also that I want to say from someone, but then I'd love to get your take on this. So the last one that I heard that was really interesting was Scott Galloway on the Pivot podcast was talking about how AirPods could be an amazing gateway to the metaverse. And what he was, his whole thing was, if you look at AirPods as a business, they're huge in terms of owning the rails that is like a massive thing where people have these, you know, white pieces of plastic in their ear and they're wearing them no matter what. Could that be used to be the gateway to the metaverse or, you know, allow people to, you know, lower the barrier for entry because some people might not want to put glasses on. And so I've kind of racked my brain. I'm like, what is it going to be? Is it going to be glasses? Is it going to be a phone? Is it going to be, I don't think it's going to be an Oculus set. Just saying that's maybe just me, but I don't know. What's, I'm curious as to what, what your take is. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the prof, but I hadn't heard what he was saying about the AirPods being the gateway to the metaverse. I find that really quite hard to conceptualize, but that definitely doesn't rule anything out because yeah. there have been many innovations recently that have been that way. It does definitely feel that, at least in maybe our generation, it might need to be something more ocular yeah. because otherwise we might be quite resistant to that change. Yeah. I definitely don't think it will be an Oculus itself. I think it's super funky, and honestly, I don't think you feel safe. Yeah. Uh, which I think is incredibly important, which is why when it comes to the way that you visually engage with it, there's something very appealing about um, augmented reality where yeah. you can engage with your day-to-day life. You can maybe seamlessly switch it on and off so people do not know whether you're in the room or in the metaverse, mm-hmm. which is quite important for to, to safety, yeah. uh, you know, if you're on the bus, for example. That's what I'm thinking about, but also I wonder whether I'm being unimaginative, to be honest. I mean, fair. I, I think, yeah, where my brain goes is, I, I guess I think about it as who's going to be able to kind of crack that code. And I think about it almost from like a company perspective. So I'm like, do I think Meta and Ray-Ban are going to crack it? I don't know. Do I think Snap is going to crack it? 
maybe they're pretty early, but they don't necessarily have the scale. Do I think Apple has the hardware capacity to crack it? I do, because, like, they've come out of nowhere with huge products, whether it's watches or whatever, and, like, they've truly kind of taken over categories. But what I wonder about is, is it going to stick? So that's kind of where my brain goes. It's just like, oh, like, who is the horse that's going to lead? And then, yeah, what's going to kind of follow after that? Yeah, it's hard to, to imagine anyone but Apple uh, getting there. I do kind of hope, you know, that Snapchat can uh, regain their throne a bit now. It's mm-hmm. like their innovation in the space. Yeah. But, yeah, I think Snap, they're so creative, and I do like a lot of their design stuff. It's just, are they going to be able to kind of withstand the, the meta, the Google, you know, trying to kill them every day? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, equally, when it comes to the metaverse, for example, I... I feel even even with the Meta's scale, I think their reputation and their relationship with all of those users actually maybe is more of a negative than some people consider. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they've burnt enough bridges already, but I suppose memory is short when somebody provides you with a really cool product. <laughs> That's right. Like, I think how many people were like, hashtag delete Facebook two years ago, and now here they are on Instagram <laughs> or whatever. I'm like, people talk a big game, but that's all about what they do. Mm-hmm. As we kind of start to wind down the episode here, there's no shortage of information about Web3, but it's kind of hard to follow. It's kind of fragmented. And so who are you following? What are you reading? What are you listening to? How do you kind of like stay on top of this stuff? Sure. I guess um, a lot of where I go for information on this is across LinkedIn and Twitter, depending on the kind of the mood I'm in and whether or not I want uh, what kind of content I, I want to be consuming. But yeah. when it comes to Web3, there's a few, there's a couple of classics, I think. So Kathy Hackle, she's been breaking uh, news about partnerships, investments, acquisitions in the space yeah. um, and faster than most people. Um, she's very active in a lot of places, but I normally engage with her on uh, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. There's Peter Yang, who was product at Reddit, and now he works for Odyssey DAO. Yep. He's on uh, Twitter and, and LinkedIn. I think he's brilliant. And uh, Zoe Scanlon, she's working on some interesting projects and is a bit of a thought leader in the space. I engage with her on LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then there's Chris Dixon on Twitter, who I follow. And then... A lot of the breaking news is kind of coming on, on dark socials. So mm. uh, the WhatsApp meme groups is a, are a great source of very much unverified and biased information, but it's sometimes the quickest way to find out about something. Yeah. But obviously you need to um, validate it before you share it with anybody. Yeah. And then it's just easy to fall down the well on crypto Twitter. So, you know, <laughs> these guys, they've got a vested interest, even if you don't necessarily know what it is. Yeah, and so they are incentivized to share their views or ostensibly their views on projects, and sometimes that's where you know the if you're willing to go into the dumpster fire, you can end up getting some you know some interesting information. But yeah, sometimes when the market is uh, not looking so good, then it's a good time to turn it off. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure there's probably going to be lots of questions for this or for you from this. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you online? Sure. So I'm not as active on there as I used to be, but um, I think LinkedIn's probably the best place. I've got um, one of those personalized URLs. I managed to get Web3 CMO first, so <laughs> quite easy to find on there. And normally I'm pretty responsive to my messages as well. 
Awesome. Well, Tom, yeah, thank you very much again. It's always great to chat with you, and we'll have to have you on again at some point in the future. Wonderful. Thanks, Charlie. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetrics.co. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.